0: Hey everyone, I'm glad you're here with us. We're in week two of a new series on the book of Acts we are calling Acts, The Church in Motion. Acts is a history of the beginning of the Christian church. Now the author of this book's name is Luke, and this book is basically a sequel because Luke also writes one of the Gospels, or the story of Jesus' life, which is named after him. Now the interesting thing about Luke is that he was not a first-hand witness of the life of Jesus. Actually, Luke didn't come along and join the disciples until about halfway through the book of Acts, which was about 40 years after Jesus rose again and ascended into heaven. Most of Luke's time was actually spent with Paul, who was another convert to Christianity, and they were doing ministry together. However, Luke did spend much of his time with the disciples, so he had access to their knowledge. Since they were first-hand witnesses, Luke was able to catalog their experiences. When we read the Gospel of Luke, we discover the purpose for him writing both of these books. Here's what he writes at the beginning of his book of Luke. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all these things closely for some time past, to write an quarterly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught." Now Luke was an educated man, and some believe he was a student of medicine. And he felt it was important to educate and witness to people like him about the life of Jesus, and then subsequently about the life of those believers who essentially started the church. You can see that even this book was written to someone named Theophilus. Now Kevin pointed out last week that this was most likely a nobleman who Luke hopes to share both the story of Jesus with and the story of the church. Now, why would he do this? Why would he go to all the trouble of telling the story? Now, have you ever gotten really good news? I mean, news that was so good, you couldn't wait to tell someone. I've had moments like this in my life. When Pam got pregnant with our first child, I can remember as clear as anything when she told me. It was early in the morning and she just took the test and I'm asleep in bed and she comes in to tell me. She's nervous and excited and she sits on the side of the bed and she tells me. Now most of the time if you come in and wake me up, I'm not a happy camper. Piece of advice for you, let Chris get out of bed before you try to have conversations with him. But this time I popped up and I was excited. The news was too good not to jump up. Another time was when I found out that I was going to be campus pastor here at White Oak. I had waited so long for God to show me His path for me. And when this happened, I got in my truck to drive home and immediately called my wife. Then I called my dad and my brother. I was pumped. I wanted to tell everyone. Good news will do that to you. It will make you want to tell everyone what you know. It will make you want to move into action. This is what Luke was doing with these books. He wanted to tell Theophilus all about the life of Jesus and the men who followed. He wanted his friend, possibly, to know the truth of his Savior and King. He had something exciting to share with someone. God wanted him to share the news of his son and the church with someone else. And in reality, he wants the same from us. Today's big idea is that good news precedes great movement. When good news happens, God is calling us to move He's calling us to take this out to the world. In the book of Acts, this is the story of a great movement. And as a church, we want to move together and make God's kingdom larger. And we're going to pick up in chapter 2 of Acts, and we're going to see a story that really drives home this point of sharing the good news. So just to recap, last week we learned about the assignment we've all been given. The assignment that Jesus gave to His disciples as He was leaving them on this earth to do His work we discover we are all called to take the hope of Jesus here, near, and far. If you missed last week or you haven't heard the message, I would encourage you to go back and watch or listen. So here we are in chapter 2 of Acts, and it starts like this. It says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Now I'm going to stop there because this is important to the rest of the story. Pentecost was the second of the annual harvest festivals. And it comes 50 days after the Passover. Churches that celebrate this today would typically do so seven weeks or so from Easter Sunday. Now, the Jewish people didn't call it Pentecost, but they, but they called it the Feast of Harvest or the Feast of Weeks. In essence, what they were celebrating was the celebration of the beginning weeks of the harvest. In Palestine, there were two harvests each year. The early harvest came during the months of May and June. The final harvest came in the fall. Pentecost was the celebration of the beginning of the early wheat harvest, which meant the Pentecost always fell sometime during the middle of the month of May or sometimes in early June. In Exodus, God told the Jewish people to celebrate three feasts per year, and this was one of those feasts that he told them to celebrate. So in essence, you have all of these Jewish people and leaders gathered together in one place and they're having a party, they're celebrating. It'd be like us saying, hey, let's celebrate the Super Bowl tonight and have a huge party. Of course, we can't do that now, but one day we will. And we can watch every team but the Bengals play. Sorry, guys. Here, all these people and God decides to send the Holy Spirit to fill this place. Here's what it says, picking up in verse 2. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, imagine you're sitting at Raymond James Stadium in Tampa, just preparing to watch the game as this happened. And there are people sitting around you who don't speak your language, but yet you can understand everything they're saying. And there are tongues of fire over each person. What are you going to be thinking? I'm probably first thinking, am I having a stroke? Have I been drugged? People were probably freaking out a little bit. But here's the thing. This moment was happening, and each of these people in the room were talking in languages that everyone could understand about the power of God. They were witnessing to the power of God. As this is happening, some of the people were trying to figure out what this all means. And some people began to actually mock them. They said, they are filled with new wine. Basically, they were saying, yeah, those guys are just drunk. They've been feasting too hard and celebrating a little bit too much. And they're just a little bit tipsy. I think we all know people like that in our lives people who are witness to something or hear about something and rather than accept this amazing thing that is happening they try to logic it out they downplay the excitement the energy why a lot of times this is because they aren't involved or they don't play a role so they're trying to minimize the event to make themselves feel better and sometimes it's just because they're afraid of what it means for them logic makes way more sense than than life-changing power that you can't control and so when these people hear good news, they might be those people who are quick to find the butt in the situation. You know, they say like, we're having a baby, uh, but that means we're going to have more bills, right? You know, I got a I promotion, but it, it means I'm probably going to have to work some more. God's called me to my mission, but, but it means, oh man, I'm going to have to do some things that make me uncomfortable. You might be one of those people. Honestly, some of you watching might not be sure what you think about all this Jesus stuff. And you're feeling those things right now. And that's okay to feel. I would implore you to let you sit this set and just be open to the idea that God can do amazing things. So these people were skeptical. And Peter, who is one of the disciples, decides it's time to get up and share. And he gets up and tells the crowd the following. He says, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. Now, Peter was not someone who'd been very brave in his following of Jesus. Peter was not the first disciple called either. Actually, his brother Andrew was the first disciple. Peter was always the one who struggled with his faith. He questioned the need for Jesus to give his life. Another time, he was the one who asked Jesus to let him walk on water with him, but lost his faith and began to sink. We can read in every account of Jesus' life that Peter denied he even knew Jesus right before his death. Have you ever felt like Peter in your life? Maybe you're in school or hanging out with your friends and they start talking about life or putting their hope in worldly things. Do you feel afraid to share with them the news of Jesus? Maybe you've been called to do something different with your life, but you struggle with the idea of like how can I make enough money or be successful? You might not talk about Jesus with your kids because you don't think you're a very good example of a Christian. Maybe you fear talking to your neighbors about your faith. Are you afraid to talk about believing in Jesus because it means someone might call you judgmental or someone who hates people? See, Peter had these fears about his life, yet even through all these things that happened in his life, Jesus told Peter time and again, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. See, Peter had fear. We can see that in history and his actions in the past, but when it came time for the Holy Spirit to dwell on his life, Peter did not let fear stand in the way. He let the power of what Jesus believed about him to be his guide. For each of us, this is true as well. Our identity as sons or daughters of Jesus have been equipped and makes us able to not stand fear, stand in the way of what we're meant to do. Remember, good news precedes great movement. So Peter gets up and begins to share the good news with these people. He tells them that what they are witnessing was foretold or prophesied in the Old Testament book of Joel. And he continues on to redeem himself of all those denials of Jesus. He tells them, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. You may not have caught it, but Peter didn't just tell them about Jesus in a passive way. He didn't say, hey guys, Jesus is really powerful. You should believe in him, okay? No. He said, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Peter was laying the smack down on these guys. He said, hey, you remember Jesus? Yeah, that guy you killed, guess what? He got up out of the grave because you better believe that death had no power over him. Peter didn't hold his punches. He didn't shyly retreat and let them talk bad about Jesus. He told them the good news with emphasis and strength and a commitment to the belief that Jesus is King. My question to you today is, do you do that? Listen, you don't need to be angry or hateful when you share the news of Jesus. Peter wasn't angry. He was bold. He wasn't afraid to let the truth be told because he knew the truth was good news. When the time comes to tell people of your faith and your king, are you willing to be that bold? With your friends at school or at sports, with your spouse, with your co-workers or your neighbors, with your kids. I'm not talking about posting a prayer chain on Facebook or Instagram or quoting Bible verses on Twitter or resharing the post that says, I'm not afraid to say I follow Jesus. Listen, those things are not bad things. They can be inspirational and enjoyable for our fellow Christians. But remember... Good news precedes great movement. I'll take a guess that God's not calling for this movement to happen from behind a screen. Why? Because all those people out there who don't know Jesus, and some of you may be watching right now, are seeing those posts and saying, if this is all Christianity is about, I can get that from anyone. There's nothing special about their faith than what I see everybody else posting. See, sharing the good news is about being bold in our relationships making our marriage and parenting center, on being ambassadors of God's will in our lives. Sharing the good news is treating our attitude towards dating as though we're more interested in their heart than we are in their body. Sharing the good news is about being willing to love people no matter how they live, what they look like, or what they believe. This is about expanding our circles of impact so we can reach more people. Sharing the good news means not being afraid to give credit to Jesus for the full life He has given us. This is what Peter was doing as he stood up in that room. He spoke some more about those prophecies and how Jesus came to fulfill them all. And what happened? Well, let's take a look. Now, when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, When Peter spoke with boldness and shared the good news of Jesus, hearts were changed. These men who had questioned the validity of what was happening were convinced. They'd seen the power of God both as the Holy Spirit entered this room, but also in the words that Peter had spoken. And as a result, they made a choice to follow Jesus. Some of you listening today might be in the same place. You've heard the stories of Jesus. You may have seen powerful things happen in the life of believers around you and you want to believe. And so Peter gives us instructions right here. He says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. The word repent means to turn away from, right? In essence, you're, you're, gonna go, you're going the wrong way you need to turn around and head back. You're on the wrong path, but you've now decided to turn back and take the right path. If you choose to do this, we're told that we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is someone who will walk alongside of you, helping you along the way, going to God on your behalf. Because God knows where we've been and where we're going and He knows we need the support. Peter said that the promise of the Holy Spirit wasn't just for believers or for Jews or for a specific set of people. No, he said, the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. And here's the thing. God knows that those who are far off need help getting home. We all need help because we're all sinners who have missed the mark. We're all His children and He wants us all to have full life. And for that to happen, we need help. Now, listen in here real close. You see, as logical people, we struggle with the idea of being bold and taking chances. We're eager and willing to share good news, but when the good news we need to share is challenging and maybe even a little dangerous, we lose our nerve. So we spend our time surrounding ourselves with people who believe what we believe and have the same faith as we do. Then, when we go into our schools or into our jobs or families or neighborhoods or communities, we keep our faith to ourselves. Good news precedes great movement. God wants us to go out and share this good news with all of those people in our lives. Reality is the full life we're promised is dependent on going out and fulfilling this mission of sharing the good news. I want to challenge you today, if you're a believer, to not let that just be a passing phrase you hear from me. Take it to heart. Go out and live your life this week, this month, for the rest of your days as though you believe the good news you've heard and you're too excited to hold it in. Don't be afraid to do the work God has called us to do. Jesus said, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into His harvest. Intriguing enough, God's timing of doing all this was far more beautiful than we could ever imagine. You see, earlier we talked about how Pentecost was just the name for the Feast of Harvest, which was the festival celebrating the early harvest of the year. You need to realize that this moment was the beginning of the church and the assignment that Jesus has called His disciples to do. Peter was stepping into boldness. He was stepping into that full life and he was becoming a laborer for God's harvest. This was the first harvest, and as you can see from the text, thousands of hearts were changed that day. God wants each of us to be that bowl because He is continuing to celebrate the harvests of lives in new and powerful relationship with Him.